Welcome to Woolful, a podcast for fiber folk. I'm excited to share with you some incredible people I've had the opportunity to talk to in this community we love so much. From shearers and shepherds to knitters and shop owners, here's where you get to listen to a little part of their fiber journey. I want to thank our sponsors for this week's episode. Knit City is the premier fiber arts festival in Western Canada, showcasing local fiber artists such as dyers, spinners, weavers, pattern designers, and notion makers. It also hosts a wide spectrum of Canadian and international knitting and other textile craft instructors. This special event is taking place in Vancouver, BC, October 1st and 2nd, 2016. And this year marks the fifth anniversary of the show. Featuring classes and lectures from some amazing folks, including today's guest, Susan Anderson, a large vendor marketplace, free demonstrations, local food trucks, and more. Knit City is proudly produced by Amanda Milne and Fiona McLean of Knit Social Event Company. To find out more info and register, visit knitsocial.ca and follow along on Instagram at knitsocial. Sunday Knits has quickly become one of my favorite yarns to knit with. Started in 2008 by Carol Sunday, Sunday Knits is a collection of four merino and merino blend yarns and beautiful patterns designed by Carol. From the 100% extra fine Australian merino to the French Angora, all their fibers are humanely sourced and then milled in Italy to Carol's meticulous and caring specifications. Aside from this yarn's obvious qualities, they're a dream to knit with. So soft yet sturdy, and the breadth of colors are beautiful and perfect for color work. And if you enjoy knitting shawls, make sure to take a look at Carol's latest pattern, Dancing Bears. A little warmth and a lot of style makes this beautiful shawl a wardrobe staple and an enjoyable knit in any of Sunday Knits' five-ply yarns. Visit Sunday Knits at sundayknits.com. Or if you can make a trip to Roscoe, Illinois, near the Wisconsin state line, make an appointment to visit Sunday Knits' gorgeous studio. You can follow on Instagram at Carol Sunday Knits. When I think about fiber folks who I've been most inspired by over the years, Susan Anderson is one of the first that comes to mind. The first knitting book I ever bought was her Itty Bitty Toys book, and it became dog-eared and well-loved. Since that time, I've come to realize the joy and spark Susan brings to our fiber world through her infectious passion behind what she does and her loyal dedication to her community. I hope as you listen today that you come to love Susan as much as so many of us do. You can find Susan at susanbanderson.blogspot.com and on Instagram at susanbanderson. And with that, here's Susan. I live in Madison, Wisconsin, and that's where I've always lived my whole life. And I uh, grew up in a big family. I'm the youngest of four siblings. And my father, the reason we're in Madison is my uh, dad was a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So um, my parents moved around a bit to various college places, (laughs) cities, and um, we landed here in Madison, which is a wonderful um, small-ish size city, small to medium-sized city, and, and uh, we really love it here, kind of in the heart of the Midwest. But I've spent my whole life here. Um, growing up, my, I'd have to say my mom was uh, such a huge influence on me as far as being crafty and, and creative and knitting. She was just this beautiful, creative uh, person all around. She's a, a lovely musician and pianist and so our house was always filled with all sorts of music that either 
someone was playing or singing or we'd listen to so much music and uh, that I, I always look at so fondly. And she also was just a beautiful um, seamstress, which is, I don't know if that's kind of an old fashioned term, but that's what we always said. I think it's either sewist or sewer or something now, but uh, I called her a seamstress and she made so many of um, my clothes growing up. And I just remember sitting in the fabric store, looking through those gigantic pattern books and being so excited by the whole process of making and um, making things that you could wear and that were practical, but we did all sorts of crafts. She was always just game for anything. So you know, I grew up like that my whole life and we would make things and repair things and we'd make do and um, she always kind of had a solution. It was just kind of a whole way of thinking, you know, there was always a solution to every um, situation and, um, you know, I just, I just loved her whole creative soul, I guess. So I really took after her as far as that. Um, well, hopefully in many other ways too, but in as far as being a maker of things, I really took after um, my mom quite a bit. My dad was also very creative as well, but and a musician as well. So came from both sides of the family. Uh, so anyway, you know, I went along making things, but um, I did probably every craft you could think of under the sun. I have tried <laughs> pretty much and uh, loved all of them, but. For some reason, uh, I started becoming really interested in knitting. Now, no one in my family knitted. Uh, I didn't have any relatives who knitted. This was really kind of in my late teen years. I started getting so interested in knitting. But, you know, this is a long time ago. There weren't resources like there are now. There was this kind of one... Uh, knit shop here in Madison that I knew of and it was not a real warm and welcoming type place it was um, I don't know I'd been in there but it wasn't it, it wasn't anywhere where I'd want to kind of go in and seek out help or anything so um, I just remember kind of when I <laughs> just just became determined to learn how to knit completely on my own there was no internet just nothing out there so I didn't know a single soul who knitted. So what I did, I was a lifeguard at this neighborhood pool and we would lifeguard for 45 minutes and then we'd have a 15 minute break. And so what I did was I, one day when I wasn't working, I biked over to this fabrics store and I went in the back of the store, they have kind of that aisle of acrylic yarns and maybe a couple pamphlets. Well, I bought some yarn and some needles and a pamphlet biked on home. I brought it to work with me when I'd have that 15 minute break. I would, I taught myself to knit and I just look back at that and I think it's so funny because it was such a different time. I mean, there weren't mm -hmm. people sitting around knitting everywhere you looked and I, you know, it was just, <laughs> I just think other people were like eating gossiping, playing cards. <laughs> there I sat as a 19-year-old um, trying to learn how to knit. It was kind of a, <laughs> I don't know, I didn't think anything of it, but it's kind of funny when you look back on it. So I learned to knit. I struggled. I struggled. My knitting was horrible. I didn't understand really anything about it. I didn't understand gauge. I didn't understand half the things I was reading. They had, you know, I had gotten this pamphlet uh, 
eventually, I don't even remember what my first project was, but eventually I did knit some sort of little top, I guess you'd call it, it was like a sleeveless top and it, it was white acrylic I'm sure the gauge was just off and I I mean it was not good but I was so proud of that white acrylic top and I'm pretty sure it was a little too small for me and my, I have a sister who's a little smaller in size than me and she <laughs> I gave it to her and um, she she loves homemade things and gifts and stuff but and so of course she was very appreciative but she didn't I never saw it again. She just, <laughs> she graciously accepted it and thanked me and, you know, probably oohed and odd over it, but <laughs> I never saw it again. And I, I asked her, uh, I was telling this story and some, I don't know if you know what, but, and I, it reminded me of, of her, uh, her and that top. And I asked her fairly recently if, if she knew what happened to it or if she by any weird chance still had it. Sometimes she she hangs on to things. She had no idea, so I don't, I don't know what happened to it. But anyway, so that was kind of my first experience, and I I just um, you know I was in college at that time, and I um, just never stopped knitting from that day on. And I started just carrying it with me everywhere. Um, you know, every weird once in a while, I'd run into a knitter, uh, you know, who saw me knitting, and like for example, this. This is kind of a fun story. I was sitting on a bench at that pool that where I was a lifeguard, but I wasn't lifeguarding at that time. I was just sitting, sitting, probably waiting for my shift to go up or something. And I, I was sitting along the side of the pool and this uh, woman came up behind me and I knew of her. I didn't really know her, but, and I knew that um, she was from Germany actually. And she was, <laughs> I must've been driving her crazy because she, um, reached over the back of the um, bench and grabbed my hands and it was really startling like there was no lead up to it or anything it just kind of happened suddenly and I was startled I remember and she took my hands and she said you should you should knit like this and she I had been throwing with my right hand and she moved the yarn to my left hand and literally held my hands and worked me through, you know, a continental style knitting, a picking style knitting. And um, <laughs> I was so startled. And then she did a couple stitches, like holding my hand. And then she just walked away. She never, <laughs> that was it. That was my knitting instruction, <laughs> really for my whole life. That's really the only instruction I've had. And so I, I remember just being so shocked you know and I was like kind of I remember feeling a little touch offended but I don't really know why but it was just startling the whole thing but then, but I then I thought oh my gosh I really like that I thought about it a little bit more and then that's the only way I've knit since then uh she never showed me the purl stitch so I do this kind of funny purling uh technique where I hold the yarn kind of pinch the yarn between my um, pointer finger and thumb on my left hand and I actually throw the yarn for the purling with my left hand and um I don't see many people do that technique but I you know I taught myself to knit and purl so uh you know I'm sure I do lots of things in a bit of a funny way but anyway so I just carried on knitting um I got my teaching degree um I was um certified kindergarten through eighth grade uh and and taught for many years I went out and got my master's degree in curriculum and instruction um knitting the whole while and uh I got 
I got married. Um, I start. I was still teaching, and I started having children. Uh, after my third child, so I taught public school for many years, sixth through eighth grade, and I was <laughs> having children the entire time I was teaching. It was really quite a battle. Um, I was also commuting. Uh, commuting about 45 minutes to my school each way um, with, you know, kids in tow. And um, my lovely mom took care of my kids while I, my younger kids, while I was teaching those, those um, many years. And finally, after I had my third child, I thought, oh my goodness, I just, this, something's got to give. I can't, I can't carry on with this. So I retired um, from teaching at that point. Um, I was young and (laughs) I was maybe I was maybe 32 at that time, and um, so I stopped teaching then, and I um, went on and had a fourth child after that, so I have four kind of older kids now. They're getting older now, but at that time, right when I stopped teaching, I really started to... um, just kick up my knitting a little bit. So, you know, when the kids were napping or I was at a lesson they were at, or I was waiting in the car to pick someone up from preschool or nursery school, I would sit and knit. And, um, you know, I was just home a lot. And I was, you know, there were just little pieces of time during the day when I could start to knit. And I started to get more and more interested in actually designing, um, myself. So this was probably at this point, maybe, maybe 20 years ago. At this point, I started um, now, maybe not maybe 15 years ago. But anyway, it doesn't doesn't really matter. But I started really um, working on coming up with my own designs. And my kids were in this nursery school, they would have this big silent auction fundraiser every year. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is the crowd to really um, maybe design some little baby hats. I mean, it seemed like every other mother there was pregnant or they had a bunch of little kids or babies or, you know, it was just the right crowd for that project for their silent auction. So I'd come up with these little baby hats. Um, I would just kind of make them up and I would add embellishments and I would do different um, textures and striping techniques and different shapes. And I would do all kinds of stuff. And I come up with this kind of little um, tray of these adorable little baby hats and people just went crazy over those. And I thought, Oh my gosh, that's really fun. And I um, carried on just doing a lot of those. Uh, Finally, um, my, a friend of mine opened, had a children's boutique and she was a knitter and we started seeing each other through our kids and in the neighborhood. And Um, She said, you know, I'm thinking of opening this knitting um, shop in my children's boutique. She said, I just think it would be such a fun, great mix. And, um, you know, I was wondering if you wanted to do some things um, there, like maybe you could sell your little baby hats or you could teach knitting. And I just jumped at the chance and I was so excited about it. So I started selling my little finished um, baby hat designs and then... Uh, I started teaching knitting there and oh, I just had the time of my life because I had really been a very secluded knitter. I, I still didn't know anyone who knitted. This is years and years of just trying to figure things out on my own. There were there weren't all the you know, tons of magazines and books and things that there are now really 
if you went to the bookstore, it would be uh, Kay Fawcett and Debbie Bliss. Those are really the only two knitting books you authors that you could find on the shelf. So I would take every book and purchase every book I could find. <laughs> it was just, you know, so little was out there at that time. So I, I did, I worked at this knitting shop, you know, just very part-time when, when I could schedule around my kids and stuff and I would teach knitting and sell my design at that at that time, I wrote my first patterns. I wrote some, I wrote maybe 10 baby hat patterns and people would come in and they went crazy over these baby hats and the, the patterns and everything. It was just, I got such a positive feedback. So I then went on, um, she, the store unfortunately had to close about maybe a year, a year and a half later. Um, the mall she was in got bought out and they raised her rent it was just a sad story so the store closed and I was so sad about it and I I uh had I got just right at that time when that shop shop was open it was probably the it was the early um 2000s I guess is when it was they books started coming out like knitting books like beautiful coffee table knitting books for example knitting in America came out by Melanie Fallick and um the knitted gifts um last minute knitted gifts um by Joelle Hoverson of Pearl Soho uh came out and I tell you I was so mesmerized by these books I thought oh my gosh do you think I could ever do something like this, you know, myself? And I, I really um, just, I can't tell you how I just became so enamored by these beautiful, beautiful knitting books. And so what happened when the store closed is I took out Knitting in America. And if, if anyone out there has not looked at this book, this, this book really was the start of these big, gorgeous uh, knitting books that we have today and, you know, kind of started everything, I I think, in, in the knitting um, world. There was just kind of this um, motion that, that came into play at that time, and it started gaining momentum. Um, but uh, in the back of that book, there, I found the um, publisher and the address of the publisher, and it was Artisan Books. So the knitting shop closed. I was very sad, and I came home, and I thought, you know what, I was trying to cheer myself up a little bit. And I thought, I'm going to try to get a, a I'm going to see if I can get a knitting book deal. You know, <laughs> it's just so out of the blue. I, I had always, I love to write and I had always wanted to publish a children's, uh, children's literature book. That was really my dream for my whole life. I, I, that was a goal that I had. So, you know, it wasn't kind of out of the the range of options I felt like I wanted to pursue, you know, somehow getting a publishing deal and writing a book, but it was of course on a different topic <laughs> than I had originally planned for. So I, I wrote up this letter and it just said something like, um, dear artisan books or dear, you know, to whom it may concern. I am this knitter. I live in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I've had this local success knitting these little baby hats and people seem to really like them. Um, I was wondering if you'd be interested in, in possibly doing a knitted baby hat book with me. 
And so then um, I put in this, I had this little box, this nondescript box. I put my cover letter. I put a couple of the patterns that I had written and had been selling at that yarn shop. And I put in um, a sample hat. And it was the rosebud hat from Itty Bitty Hats event that, you know, people might be familiar with if they know that book. So I put that in a box. I sent it off to New York City to this um, big publisher, and I didn't really think about it. I, I kind of mailed it off, and I thought I didn't, I just was busy. I had little kids. I was running around. I didn't think about it. About 12 days later, I got an email from the publisher and they had and they said you know we love your hats uh and your patterns that you sent and yes we'd like to do a book and uh I just remember that email so vividly and it was filled with exclamation points and I <laughs> I love to use exclamation points in my writing so which probably isn't always the best but I do I love it. And they had tons of exclamation points in this email. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this this is a match made in heaven. So that was it. That's the story of how I got my first book deal. That was in 2004. Uh, and that my first book then came out in 2006. Um, and that was Itty Bitty Hats. Since then, I've had uh, I've written six books with um, my same publisher, Artisan Books, um, who I love very much. And uh, then I, you know, all the other things just started snowballing from there. I just began knitting, you know, as kind of a full time career. From that point on, I um, have traveled all over the country. I started out traveling, doing book tours, and that my publisher, fortunately. Um, at that time still was doing, you know, book tours. So I would go to, you know, 20 different cities and um, they'd set up, you know, I was on local TV programs and um, a few national uh, TV programs where they'd interview me about my books. And uh, I started, then Ravelry came into play and I started having, you know, my publishing my own patterns and, you know, writing things for other yarn companies and magazines and all that kind of thing. And, um, and yeah, so that's where I sit today. So here we are, are all the way up in 2016. And I'm still going strong, which is <laughs> hard to believe in some some ways, but I still love love what I get to do. And it's been quite an adventure. What was it like with all that kind of unexpected success, and then kind of taking these leaps into um, the unknown of writing books and, and becoming more busy. What was it like juggling all that as a mom too? You know, I look back on it now. So now my kids are 24 through 17. But at that time I had, uh, I had had four kids in, uh, a span of seven years <laughs> in 2004, my daughter, my youngest daughter would have been four or five years old. So I had kids in elementary school and some still at home. And I look back at those, those years. And honestly, I don't, I really don't know how I did it. Um, I guess when you're really young, and you're just so busy and kind of in the trenches with everything, it 
it's um, you can you do things. Um, you know, I'm a hard, hard worker, and I work really hard at being a, a mother, and you know, always being available and accessible, and. Um, there for my kids. I've worked at home, out of my home all these years, which can also be very tricky and challenging. Uh, and um, the other thing is I, I have a very supportive husband who, like, for example, when I went on those book tours, he was just there for me. And, um, you know, I had also my my mom and my um siblings, my sister especially, have, you know, helped me immensely along the way when I did have times where I just really, you know, had to just work, be working. And um, so it's, I, I'm not going to say it was easy. It was, it was difficult. But, you know, when I was doing it, I, I have to say, I didn't give it much thought. It just kind of was what happened. I had these fantastic opportunities. And um, fortunately, you know, I was able to um, just make make the best of everything and, and kind of mm-hmm. do it all. <laughs> Sometimes very painfully so, but you know, I, I did it all. And, you know, there, there are times when I'd wake up at um, 3am and work from 3am till, you know, seven or eight in the morning when everybody in my house got up, it was really the only quiet time I'd have. So I'd go to bed really early when the kids went to bed and I'd get up, you know, in the middle of the night and, and try to work at that time now. And I still, I still do that sometimes when I've got deadlines and I'm just not finding the time. Um, because even though my kids are older now, um, they're still in and out all the time. I, my 22 year old came home for a bit. He graduated college. He's home for almost a year and he was, he's been here in and out. Now he's uh, moved out again, (laughs) but you know, it's not, um, it's not an empty house around here by any means. So, uh, yeah, I just try to make the best of it. I work at odd times. I work here and there. It's never a straight shot of time for me. And I, I know I'll, every mom out there can relate to that or, you know, someone with a lot going on um, or taking care of other people or animals or any of that. You're kind of on on someone else's mm-hmm. schedule all the time. But I just make the best of it. And I... I I've accomplished, you know, I've gotten a lot done. So <laughs> I, I, I just always say, I just, I just try. I try my hardest every day. So that's all you can do. It's funny how you can even look back. Like I look back at well, almost two years ago when I started the podcast and just the hours that I was pulling to do it when we lived in San Francisco. And I'm like, I don't even know, like, how, how did I do that? Because there's no way you would get me up till you know 3 a.m working on a podcast right now it's like i'm in bed when coltrane goes to bed (laughs) wait till you get old like me and then you look back and you think oh my goodness that was the craziest time of my life i mean it was just exhausting and fun and uh exhilarating at times and i mean you're just so in the moment all the time and uh you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting time of your life to go through. <laughs> I was just thinking back to when you're talking about how you were born and raised and you still live in the same community. How has that community changed or grown, you know, specifically the crafting or fiber community? Oh, I, it's just changed so much. I, it's so remarkable to have started knitting when I did kind of at the cusp or the brink of um, well, I mean, I started before that, but just kind of when I even got into designing a little bit, 
um, it's just changed so much. Uh, locally, it's completely different. Um, there are, I mean, yarn shops still come and go locally around here. Um, but the Knitting Guild around here, for example, oh, I think it has maybe the Madison Knitters Guild has maybe six or 700 people in it now. Uh, I don't know, even know what it was back then. I can't imagine it was anywhere near that. They keep having to change venues because they outgrow every venue. You know, they just are in these massive venues. They get maybe three, 400 people come to every single meeting, monthly meeting. So it's, it's just astounding. And, you know, more specifically, the online community is what has just become such a wonderful resource. I look at young knitters today, and I think how lucky they are to have Ravelry and YouTube and Craftsy and all these places where you can just be with other knitters and learn and I can't imagine what it would have been like for me to learn to knit you know in the communities that there are today it's just it's a completely different world out there um you know for example when I went on that first book tour back in 2006 um people kept saying to me like well I'd meet people and they think, well, where can I get in touch with you? What can I, um, you know, how do I find out what you're doing? And when I got home from that tour, I remember, um, actually, it's the 10th anniversary of that, my my uh, blog coming up this fall in, in October. I thought, well, I'm going to start a blog, I guess. I'm going to start a blog. That's just when the knitting blogs were just kind of starting and things were cropping up, you know, on the internet. I didn't really understand any of it and I was trying to <laughs> learn how to how to you know master being online and having a blog and uh, so I started you know my blog at that time and then um, that's gained so much momentum and I don't know that it's just I mean you could just go on and on about all the online opportunities but it's it's created change the internet has created change you know all over the world but also so much locally um, too so it's it's just been a huge time of change and um, really fun time period to look back at and and see how things have just become so much better I think in the knitting world it's it's everything's more accessible you know anyone can dip their toe into designing or writing a blog I think it's great I, I love it I love all of it when you think back on all the little events and, and the new experiences that you experienced over the last 10 or 15 years, is there a particular story or a couple stories that you kind of stand out to you? I, I do remember um, a couple of funny things, I guess, that, that have happened. Um, you know, getting that first book deal back in 2004, I remember getting that email and just... The, the emotions that, you know, at that time, uh, I think, I mean, it's always a big deal to get a book deal, but at that time, you know, um, there weren't so many knitting books, not, not even close to, to what there is. It was more of a rarity to, to get, you know, run across the knitting books. They were just starting to be published. And, and I just remember feeling, um, so elated and excited, like just, you know, I printed out the email and I just would carry it around with me and I'd look at it because I, I was pinching myself. I didn't know if it was true or not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then um, 
I um, just felt like maybe, you know, and then I kept asking myself, can I really, I don't know, can I write a book? Am I, am I capable of doing this? I, I you know, here I just I really had probably 10 to 12 patterns I'd ever written. And I was so inexperienced and they had to walk me through the publisher. Um, so then, you know, after, after these, this initial contact, they wanted, a, you know, like a book proposal, like a, a proper book proposal. And I remember them just having to walk me through, you know, every step of the way, um, you know, what, what do you envision your book looking like? How many patterns are you thinking about? How many designs? Um, are you going to have an instructional section? Is there going to be, um, you know, what kind of photographs are you thinking about? So all that stuff I had to, you know, kind of dig deep and, and, and um, without a lot of things to reference from, I had to, you know, kind of come up with, with all that that information. I just remember that being just such a hugely creative time um, for me, um, and just in my life in general too. And and that was just a crazy fun time of just newness and so much um, excitement and kind of expectation and everything. And uh, I do remember at that time too. Uh, it's not, it's kind of related on like a creative, uh, you know, uh, bend there that I was on, but I actually, at that same time, and remember I did have the, all these little kids at home too, I, I took it upon myself to remodel my kitchen. So I pretty much dismantled my entire kitchen. Uh, I took everything out, all the cupboards we took down some cupboards um you know just completely kind of you know not completely gutted but pretty much took everything out of my kitchen and, and rework it and i i painted all the cupboards i um we put in like a new ceiling it, you know we all did it we did it um, pretty much my husband and I, and we had a couple handy friends who would help too, but I also put, made this really fun um, mosaic backsplash that went all along one wall and then turned a corner and went along another wall of my kitchen. And um, I had, had the kids paint tiles. And so and then we'd break them up and we'd put like, I put really fun things like mug handles. It was just the craziest mosaic uh, backsplash. And it just was so much fun. And uh, I just remember that whole time is just being so wildly creative. And I just was kind of so energetic. I, um, I was just so game to try anything, and I loved that little mosaic kind of started right at the same time I started that book, and um, I just thought that was so much fun. Um, it was kind of a reminder. Now we've kind of gutted that whole kitchen again <laughs> and redo it, but every once in a while I think of that mosaic, and I, I really kind of miss that little kind of silly mosaic. I mean, it was pretty pretty way out there, but the other, uh, you know, fun story I, I I do remember um, craftsy I have three craftsy classes I just did one recently just last it was in 2016 probably last February but prior to that I had done two craftsy classes um, right when craftsy started and uh, so when I came that was in maybe 2011 and when I came back again in 2016 it was just such a whole different ball game um, at Craftsy. So it's kind of funny to think back on that 20, 2011 experience I had. I remember um, I didn't really know what Craftsy even 
was. It had just started. And um, I met uh, Stephanie Jappel, who is uh, still with Craftsy, but had just newly come come on to work for that company at that time. She was a really, um, still is a very well-known knitter, but probably... I would say the number one knitter at that time, you know, she was, she was just very prolific and extremely popular and, and her knitting designs were always so popular, but she, I met her at TNA and, and, um, and I knew she was working for Craftsy. So I was kind of talking to her about, you know, I'd love to come and teach an online class. I just thought that would be such a great experience. So when, when she got back to the office, we kept talking and she set up this, um, time for me to do um, some craftsy class come out and in, in to Denver and do some craftsy classes but it was such a different experience we the you know there wasn't that much preparation um, there was on my part part and someone would check in but it wasn't such a coordinated um, preparation um, you know now they have you actually you know going through your classes kind of before you get there like actually practicing but at that time you know there was no real lead up it's just they counted on you to have everything um set and ready to go and I was so glad I was um a teacher for so long because I really you know I knew how to prepare a lesson and how to break it down and I knew what kind of um step outs I would need to kind of move things along for their production and stuff. But so it went really smoothly. Um, but it was funny because they were in a different office and it was just this very small little office, um, right in down, I think it was right in downtown Denver. It was this kind of brick building. And, uh, we, and the, they shot the actual videos right in their office. There was a little kind of off, shoot room where when you'd open the door to that room uh from that room it would just be their office right there and and what happened was so they'd close this door we'd be in this little tiny tiny office and they would turn on these hot bright lights um for filming which now they don't use those hot lights anymore it's you know the temperature is very comfortable <laughs> but the temperature in that little room it was like 100 degrees in there it was so hot and then we'd shoot you know a little segment or a take or something and then they would fling the door open to the office and when you look out into the office what they would do is while we were filming they would um, crank the air conditioning up so that it would there would be some sort of you know cool, cooler air coming into that little tiny studio um, and then when you look out into the office they, everybody working it, it was just an open office very modern everybody would be sitting there with their winter parkas on and hats and mittens like our fingerless mitts like sitting at their computer just shivering and shaking and we would be just sweating in there just like <laughs> It was just such a funny experience, you know, now when I look back on it, it was so, uh, you could just tell they were just starting up and, you know, when I got to go back again five years later, it was really fun. They had, they would be shooting, you know, five different instructors at the same time and they had all these really cool studios set up and it was just such, um, a fun thing to see how they had progressed and grown and how they're, they've become so successful over these, you know, last years. So uh, I wouldn't trade that initial experience for anything. You know, I love seeing how things get started and then, if you know, hopefully they'll be successful and you come back later and it's just such a changed thing. Uh, so that's, that's kind of a fun 
memory that I had and it was all very exciting and, and new. But yeah, there, I mean, there have been so, so many funny things. Um, you know, I do this traveling, I think probably for my first two or two or three books, I would go on these extensive um, book tours. And that was always really an experience. I would either be at a bookshop, um, some local bookshop, or I'd be at a local yarn shop, or I would be, you know, and then when I'd get there, I'd they'd, or make my publisher would make arrangements for me to do these kind of local TV segments. So I had a lot of funny experiences where I'd, I'd, um, like, for example, I my first city that I went to, um, I went to Minneapolis, and I was picked up at the airport. They would also, these are kind of a thing of a pa- the past, too, but I'd have these drivers, you know, pick me up from wherever and take me wherever I was going, which, which was really nice because I'm very directionally challenged. So I always really appreciated that. So I get off the airplane. My book had had just come out and um, my first book itty bitty hats had just come out and I um, I had a driver waiting for me at the airport and I got in the car with her and we went straight over to care 11 that's the big tv station in the Minneapolis um, area and I went right straight into the building they um, I got you know shortly i barely even met with anybody. I had no training. I didn't know what, you know, was going to happen. And then um, they took took me into um, this, the green room. So I'd go sit in the green room where I'd meet just the most interesting people. I mean, I, it was it was just crazy when I'd go to these cities, you know, waiting to go on for their morning show or their noon show segment. It was it was really fun. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd show up there, I'd, I'd get mic'd up, I'd be, I'd be, you know, escorted onto the set. I'd set up my uh, little, whatever it may have been that I was, um, was in the, that particular book. I'd set them up on a, a long table. The newscaster would come over and then I would do these interviews on live TV. I had no preparation or, or training or anything. And um, it which was, it's kind of, <laughs> shocking to me now I mean I don't know how the publisher would even know you know if somebody was really capable of of doing live tv and you know (laughs) doing okay at it and again I thank my uh teaching um background for that too because um a lot you know that most of the news personalities that I was talking to had no no knowledge of knitting at all like they wouldn't know anything about knitting or understand it or have any I don't know just you know, any inkling of, of what was going on. So, you know, a lot of times I'd have to kind of lead the interview and, you know, kind of talk about things that I wanted to let people know about and things. So that, that was funny. But one time I was at um, WGN, which is um, the big Chicago uh, news station, which is also a national news station. And I was, uh, I was waiting um, to go on. And I remember Shirley Jones was supposed to show up. Um, Shirley Jones, who was the mom in the Partridge family. And she was um, Lori in Oklahoma. And, you know, she's this very famous actress. I think she maybe did Broadway and stuff too. But, you know, I had grown up watching the Partridge family and Shirley Jones. So I was all excited about it. <laughs> and then the, um, 
the news, the producer guy walked by me and, and he said, you're up right now. He said, um, Shirley Jones didn't show up. And I said, oh, I said, that's too bad. I said, all right, I'll, I'll go up. I said, I'm no Shirley Jones. And he said, no, he said, you're better than Shirley Jones <laughs> because you're here. <laughs> so I always love that, that I was, I was better than Shirley Jones at that moment. <laughs> so it was funny. I was just crazy, crazy stuff, you know, that went on. And it seems like such a long time ago now. Oh, one other funny story too, or fun story. I um, was doing a book tour and I went to um, New York City. Oh, I know. I was at Nitty City. They they all, I love that yarn shop in, in New York City. They always have been so kind and hosted this, hosted some book signing or I can't remember what some kind of event. And my sister came along with me. So that was really fun. And my editor uh, who I just I love so much and I worked with for about 10 years. He um, knew the costume designer for Mary Poppins, um, the musical, the Broadway show musical. And so we got tickets and he um, didn't tell us and he surprised us and we got to go backstage. His friend, the costume designer, met us there and he, we got to meet um, Mary Poppins and uh, my sister is a big um, musical. She's a um, singer and musician and um, just a huge Broadway um, fan. And so I was so excited for her. I loved it too, but I was so excited for her. But he took us down into the, you know, under dwellings of the stage and we got to look at all the costumes for Mary Poppins. We got, and he told us all about them. And, um, you know, it's just such a fun, exciting um, experience that, you know, if I hadn't written a book with that publisher, we never would have gotten to have that experience like that. It was kind of a once in a lifetime moment for us. So um, we're just two, two girls from Madison, Wisconsin. And we, here we got this grand tour of a Broadway stage. And I think that was really a fun thing that never would have happened otherwise. So it's so much fun to kind of look back and, and, and I enjoy hearing these stories because I think not only is it great to learn more about you, but there's a huge inspiration that comes from just listening to these types of things, especially for, you know, new designers or makers of any kind today. Um, while it's a completely different sort of, I don't know, ball game when it comes to publishing and and getting your name out there these days people find themselves in similar experiences uh you know and i think the common thread is really hard work that's what i've found myself you have to be so passionate about what you're doing you know i just had this and still have today just this love of knitting and there's endless stuff to learn and new techniques and inventing new things and trying to come up with things on your own. And I think, um, you know, you just have to have that drive. And I, I don't remember what exactly it is, but there's some, you know, to really become a master of what you're doing, there has to be this underlying passion and willingness just to devote so much of your energy to, you know, learning and becoming masterful at really what you're doing. Um, so it takes, and it takes years to really have that, you know, that kind of, um, you know, I look, looking at, at knitters who are out there, you know, a lot of them. Um, and now the one thing that's different now, though, is that you can learn so much faster now because there's so much uh, information right at your fingertips. So I think 
I think in that sense, things have been sped up quite a bit. But, you know, like back in my day, you, you know, it might take you 10 years to really consider yourself a master of something, you know, just um, that kind of devotion and, and hard work and drive. But I, I definitely think you're right on that. It just takes takes a lot of effort and, and hard work and a lot of times a lot of sacrifice, you know, to really kind of um, help something grow and, and, and um, move it along. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I hear from a lot of people, no matter what facet of the industry they're in is that one of the sacrifices that they've had to make is kind of the making itself, um, at least for themselves. So, you know, where when I'm designing something or you're designing something or someone's making yarn or, you know, selling a yarn brand, they end up doing so much of that other thing that it they don't get to do the thing itself, you know, whether it's knitting or um, spinning or whatever it is. How have you found that for yourself? Because I know that you still knit a lot for yourself and other people. That That's a tough one. I still knit all of my samples for all of my designs. Um, I don't, I don't hire out unless it's maybe a test knit, you know, for a pattern after I've already um, knitted it. And, um, but not only just the knitting, but I spend, you know, I have to spend so much time um, writing my blog, responding to emails. Um, You know, at this point I'm, I'm teaching all over the country. And so it's a lot of this kind of coordinating and emailing and sending things off and, um, there's so much time spent every single day to just kind of keeping up and keeping things in order. So I, you know, a lot of times I have people say to me, well, you should delegate, you should delegate. But I like that, you know, that I'm still the one answering emails or responding to questions or, you know, doing all that. I think it makes things a lot more personal and meaningful. The other thing, um, you know, for me, as far as like knitting samples and things for patterns, I know, I I know of people who just are concept people, and they just come up with a concept, and then other people knit the um, sample and and actually write the pattern for them. And that's mainly, you know, people who maybe are doing like bigger projects, like big, you know, sweaters or you know things more along that that line, where one person couldn't possibly. Um, if you're trying to really generate a lot of um, patterns and designs, you you couldn't possibly do that on your own. You'd have you would have to hire out people. But you know, my projects, a lot of them, not all of them, because I do some you know like uh, larger shawls and things. But um, you know, a lot of my projects are smaller, especially if I'm doing toys, uh, toy knitting, which is you know one of my specialties. Uh, I I really still find I have to do that on my own. I have to knit the sample and, um, toy knitting is such kind of a, um, it's, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm really particular about how I want my, uh, toy to look. I want it to be a certain gauge. I want it to be, you know, I want, I want to do the face embroidery because maybe I want it to have a certain expression or all, you know, they're just little, little things that are a little more detail oriented than maybe like a larger shawl or pattern, um, sweater pattern. So I still am, uh, you know, want to have my finger in fingers in their knitting and, uh, you know, have, have control over that. 
So, um, yeah, but there are, there are a lot of different ways you can go about kind of delegating your, your work and, and, um, I still haven't quite found Mm -hmm. the right, (laughs) the right balance for that maybe yet. I would love to not spend, you know, so much time doing emails or responding or, you know, and I know sometimes I get so swamped that things kind of get lost in the shuffle, which I always, I just feel terrible about that. You know, when that does happen on, I try really hard to keep up, but you know, every once in a while I'll I'll miss something or other just due to volume of, of things. But yeah, it's a hard, it's hard. I think everybody struggles with that a little bit. So kind of a funny story on my end is, and I think I've told you this before, the very first book that I ever bought was your book, was the Itty Bitty Toys book. It was several years ago, and I I think it was actually just right after it was released, and I knit um, a lot of those pieces for my niece, and I don't know, it was... It was before, I think Ravelry had probably just come out, but it wasn't like it was at the forefront of a lot of people's attention. And so um, if you weren't like really in the knitting world, like knitting books and knitting shops were still kind of your main avenue for like finding things. And so, gosh, that, that book was earmarked and I knit projects from it and I probably still have tons of yarn that I intended to knit projects from. You were a huge inspiration from me from the beginning. And what's funny is as you were talking about toys, I realized that my first design that I ever released was a toy pattern. And so you had a huge uh, effect on me in that sense, because toys have been kind of my fun little thing since I started having kids. Well, that's, that's fun to hear too. And yeah, that book came out in 2009. So you're exactly right. I think Ravelry started in 2007. And uh, that was quite adventurous of of you to start with um, toy knitting, because that can be a little, you know, tricky, complicated, but but also loads of fun. And especially if you have someone a good recipient in mind, it's it makes it even more fun. So that's good. I'm that's nice to hear. So I know you have some events teaching coming up. um, And I know you list them on your website. But one in particular that's kind of more in my neck of the woods is Knit City. Um, have you been to that festival before? No, this is um, my first time, and it'll be my first time to Vancouver. So I'm really excited about it. And that, it seems to be a very popular uh, event because <laughs> I have heard from so many people um, that are so excited about it. So I can't wait. And uh, I love that area. You know, just um, I've been to Seattle and uh, it's so beautiful there. I just can't wait. And today I've released my newest design for Little Woolens, the Western hat pattern. I first came up with this design when I was pregnant with my son, and over the years I've knit countless variations for friends and family, waiting to take the time to write the pattern and share it with all of you. It's the perfect quick knit and just in time for fall. You can find it now on Ravelry. Search for The Weston Hat. The winners of last week's giveaway are Branwyn, Amaya, and Annie. You've each won a bag of various Habu yarns to experiment and play with. Congratulations! This week's giveaways are sponsored by Sunday Knits and Susan Anderson. Sunny Knits is giving away the Dancing Bears Shawl Pattern and Yarn Kit, and Susan Anderson is giving away a PDF copy of her most recent toys book, String Along Toys, made with Quince & Company yarns. To enter and be one of the winners, leave a comment on today's episode's blog post at woeful.com.
The biggest of thanks to everyone involved in this week's episode, Knit City, Sunday Knits, and Susan. I hope you'll join me each week as we talk and learn from more fascinating fiber folk. For podcast notes and photos, visit Woeful.com. If you're interested in being a part of this podcast, including one of our segments or as an episode or giveaway sponsor, shoot me an email at hello at Have a wonderful week.